this could not be a better time to, to upgrade your health and optimize your immune function because uh, that is really what is going to be protecting you the most uh, beyond your sort of social responsibilities. You're listening to the Wisdom for Wellbeing podcast, the show that blends science and heart to bring you evidence-based tips and tricks for cultivating a healthy, wealthy, and meaningful life. Now, here's your host, therapist, yogi, and fellow Full Life Balancer, Dr. Caitlin Harkis. Hi there. Welcome to Wisdom for Wellbeing. And not just any episode, the final episode of season one. Can you believe that we have been through 20 episodes already? These amazing nuggets of wisdom that are designed to help you cultivate health, wealth, and well-being in your life. In honor of the fact that right now is a rather unsettled time and there is a lot of concern around the coronavirus, today's episode is another special episode with a medical practitioner. In fact, it's Dr. Nashiet Latiab, a board-certified emergency medicine physician in Cyprus, Texas. She received her medical degree from New York College of Osteopathic Medicine and she has been practicing for over 15 years. She's a fellow of the American College for Emergency Physicians and has been an expert panelist for the Texas Medical Board for more than 10 years. Despite being on the front line of acute illness for most of her career, Dr. Latiab has actually always had a passion for health, wellness, and the movement towards preventative medicine. In fact, Dr. Latiab has further studied in the areas of functional medicine and integrative health, and applied these practices to her own life and with her patients in the ER daily. She has received her functional medicine training through the prestigious Institute of Functional Medicine, Institute for Integrative Women's Health, as well as having a mentorship with the Kalish Institute. She is passionate about creating a movement away from a sick care model of medicine and towards one where disease is reversed and or prevented. This is actually one of the things that we talk about in today's conversation. So today, Dr. Latiab will share with you further information on what the coronavirus is, its symptoms, what vaccines are looking like and how they may come to fruition, as well as how you can take care of yourself, your family, and your community in this time. She talks a lot about the idea of upgrading your health, which I think is a beautiful framework, a positive framework that we can all be orientating towards. She gives tips like perimeter shopping and different multivitamins and supplements that you might be wanting to incorporate into your daily life as you transition to a whole foods diet that is filled with plenty of spices. Now, if you're thinking, oh, I didn't see season one coming to an end, don't worry. While I had planned on using the final episode to integrate in a really holistic manner 
all of the conversations that we've had up until this point, I thought that it was important to offer you this information in a timely manner. So I'll be offering a bonus episode next week that will link all of the conversations, the topics, the frameworks that we've gone through in the 20 episodes of Wisdom for Wellbeing thus far. And I'll be offering it as a Facebook Live. So there'll be a PowerPoint slide and everything to go along with it as well as a workbook that can be downloaded from the website. I'll of course be sending it all out to the mailing list as well, so make sure that you join in for the mailing list and connect on social media. Of course, head on over to wisdomforwellbeingpodcast.com to find the different ways that we might be able to connect. So I am wishing you well in this period of physical distancing, albeit not social isolation, and please enjoy today's wonderful wisdom with Dr. Nachette Latieb. All right, here she is. Welcome to the Wisdom for Wellbeing podcast, Nishat. Thank you so much for agreeing to come on today and making the time in your busy, busy schedule, given everything that is going on right now. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Well, I am just delighted because you have such an expertise. You know, you are an emergency room doctor. You are also a functional medicine expert. You know, you are starting a beautiful business, which we'll talk about a little bit at the end as well. And, you know, you're launching that while you're managing an ED department in the context of the coronavirus, which is actually what we would thought we would thought we would talk a little bit about today, how, how we keep ourselves well in this context around the coronavirus, um, as well as giving listeners a bit of an understanding as to what, what that actually means, what it is. Yes, absolutely. I think it's really critical, um, given the changing landscape, that everyone really has a proper understanding of what this virus is all about, as well as specific action you know, items and and a plan that they can undertake to keep themselves, their families, and their mental health well. Yeah, and I I guess with that, you know, I know that you have some very clear steps around that. Before we give listeners, you know, the, the takeaways as to what they need to be doing, why don't we just start with sharing a little bit about what the coronavirus is? What is what is COVID-19? Absolutely. So Coronavirus is actually the name for a large set of illnesses, including the common cold and other respiratory infections. And the term novel coronavirus, which is what we're hearing all over the media, simply means it's a new form of the virus. Um, And as far as the origin of the virus, it's actually thought to be originated from animals that were sold at the Hunan seafood wholesale market in China, but is still currently being investigated. it's, it's similar to um, the coronavirus that is derived uh, from the chrysanthemum bats. And what they're thinking is that there was actually an intermediate host that is a scaly anteater, which was illegally trafficked in those markets. So it's kind of amazing the way it actually came to be. So somehow the anteater and the bat um connected and, and that resulted in the virus or how how does that happen <laughs> supposedly that is what happened and you know i don't think they know exactly how um because bats you know are 
are asleep at night. And so, um, you know, but the ant eaters are out at night too. So the yeah. thought is that somehow the bat got to the ant eater and then the ant eater is illegally, illegally trafficked in these markets. And so that's how it got into the bodies of humans. Right. And, and it's not something they wouldn't have met naturally in the wild because they're from two different areas. So that's why it's become this new, this novel virus. Correct. Correct. And, and we'll, we'll talk a bit more about how viruses mutate and replicate a little bit later. But, um, but the most important thing to know is that it's a respiratory illness. And, and the term COVID-19 simply refers, like the 19 has, is just representative of the year, 2019, because that's when it was discovered. That's why it's called COVID-19. Um, and it's spread from person to person. Um, and like I said, it was first identified in uh, an investigation after the outbreak occurred in Wuhan, China. Um, in terms of how it presents, uh, the interesting thing is that it presents in a, in a kind of a wide variety of presentations. So some patients could have very mild um, to no symptoms at all, and others will end up, you know, intubated on a respirator and sometimes not making it um, and dying of, you know, either the virus itself or complications of the virus. And in terms of presentation, the most common presenting symptoms are really fever, cough, and shortness of breath. But I think the most common misunderstanding at this point is that those are not unanimously present amongst all patients. So for instance, cough presents probably in about 68% of patients. Fever, currently the statistic is about 44%. Um, and shortness of breath is only 19%. You know, about 14% of patients might present with a sore throat, or a headache. And, you know, there's a very small percentage. Now it's only less than 2%, but less than 2%, still, still a pretty good number of patients will present with nonspecific symptoms like throat congestion or tonsillar swelling or rash. Um, we're also seeing a lot of GI symptoms um, as, you know, a presentation of the illness. So that's quite incredible. I'm just thinking in terms of everything that I hear around, for instance, testing here in Australia is around that people have to have a fever, for instance, or have met criteria of being in close contact with someone who's a confirmed case. So it's interesting to hear that actually only 44% of people would actually have this fever. Yeah. And that's a really great point. Um, and it's really important to keep in mind when we get into the conversation about statistics and numbers of cases, because pretty unanimously amongst most of the countries that have been effect, uh, affected severely with the virus, testing has not been readily available from the beginning. Um, and I can tell you just from personal experience as an ER doctor on the front line here in the US, which is currently the hardest hit country in the world, that you know we only got access to rapid in-hospital testing this week. And oh, wow. actually yesterday is when that rapid test became available to us. Up until that point, what we were having to do is do a screen on people. And if they were stable enough for going home, they would be sent home with discharge instructions to quarantine themselves for 14 days. They would be given a note, discharge instructions on what to expect, uh, how to self-treat, 
and obviously return precautions that were required in the either call their healthcare provider or come back to the emergency department. But every single one of those patients that was sent home was not tested for COVID-19. And so you can kind of do the math on why our numbers might be very, very off. Yeah, my goodness. That sounds um, quite naive, isn't it, to have not been testing to that point? Yes, exactly. And, you know, I think it's just because none of us were ready, you know, Um, and we didn't, and it's not that, you know, everyone was just not testing on purpose. I think the reality is that we were just not prepared. So we didn't have the resources, the reagents, um, or any of the necessary, um, you know, ticket items needed to actually perform the test in that large Uh, of a number and volume, you know, also keep in mind that this is a new virus. So this is a new test that had to be created within the scientific world. And that stuff, of course, doesn't happen, you know, at the drop of a hat, it takes time. Um, But going back to like, the, the illness itself, some of the severe complications of the coronavirus are, are what is, are, are what is actually costing people their lives. So for instance, it's, it's, when people start to develop uh, severe coronavirus symptoms, they go into what we call ARDS, which is acute respiratory distress symptoms um, and distress. And essentially, the lungs will fill up with fluid. You can develop a subsequent pneumonia in both lungs. Um, and the infection can cause multi-organ failure. Uh, and it is It's these complications of the virus that ultimately end up costing people their lives when they cannot rebound appropriately um, from it. I think another uh, misunderstanding that people have is that this only affects older people or immunocompromised. And the reality is that in the U.S. we are seeing young, otherwise healthy people um, become critically ill from the virus and some of whom are not making it. So um, I think that's also really to keep important to keep in mind when we get to the part about the importance of what we need to do to keep ourselves and our families and our communities safe. Definitely, definitely, because that does challenge the common vernacular around it, doesn't it? So I think that offers further insight as to why the tips and the tricks that you're going to be sharing with us are so important and why even if we are going, oh, well, I'm a healthy young person, still we need to be doing what we can to keep ourselves well in this, you know, uncertain time. Absolutely. Absolutely. So the... You mentioned that the death rate for this um, this virus is higher than than it might be for other viruses. Is that accurate? Yeah, yeah. So let's get into a little bit about kind of um, the terms of the illness, the death rate, and kind of how it affects um, our healthcare capacity and our healthcare systems. Um, the virus is very, very transmissible, meaning it's very contagious, and it spreads from person to person even before a person develops symptoms a lot of the time. So the virus is actually carried in respiratory droplets. So when we talk, sneeze, or cough, these respiratory droplets will land on surfaces or on someone's mouth or nose or any mucous membranes. So 
For instance, you know, we talk about washing our hands a lot. When droplets land on surfaces, we can pick them up with our hands and transfer them to our eyes, mouth, nose, or when we touch our faces. And this is the reason that hand hygiene is so, so important. And it doesn't mean just washing your hands after you go to the bathroom or before we're eating. I'm talking about washing your hands regularly throughout the day um, with an antibacterial soap for at least 20 seconds at a time, because that is truly what is proven to, um, you know, kill the virus. And 20 seconds is longer than we think it is. Like I know when I was looking at 20 seconds is that significantly longer than me as, you know, not as a doctor who would necessarily have the practice, you know, with the medical standards of hand washing. 20 seconds felt really long to me. Yeah, it is. It is. I, I always tell my kids, like, sing happy birthday. <laughs> Beautiful. That's a great reminder. We can all sing happy birthday. Most of us yeah. will know that song. Yeah, or some Beyonce song. They like to sing <laughs> Beyonce, too. <laughs> Beyonce or happy birthday, whatever kind of lifts you. Yeah, yeah cool. exactly. Exactly. So, you know, but the good news is, like, you know, there's no reason to have fear. It's all about having common sense and good practices. The good news about this virus is that it's an enveloped virus, and that basic, and, but the envelope around the virus is what keeps the virus intact and makes it transmissible and makes it contagious. And the, the, vir the viral envelope for this COVID-19 is actually very sensitive and very susceptible to hand sanitizers and soap. And so it's very easy to kill it. You know, it's just about being conscientious. Beautiful. That's really, really nice to know. So if we wash our hands, if we use hand sanitizers, we can kill this virus. It's a matter of training ourselves to actually do these proactive steps, to actually remind ourselves to wash our hands, to hand sanitize, and to try and avoid touching our face, which is, which is tough. It's very tough. It's very tough. Absolutely. So, and, you know, I just kind of want to make people aware of kind of where we are in terms of numbers of this virus. Yeah. Um, and going back to what you were talking about earlier in terms of the mortality rate, um, you know, the mortality rate of like the common flu is less than 1%. In fact, I think it might even be close to 0.1%. So it's very, very low in the large scheme of things. Right now, I mean, even though we're, we're you know, things are evolving constantly, right? So. Um, this number could change very quickly, but currently what we're seeing is somewhere between around two to two and a half percent mortality rate um, from coronavirus. So if you compare that to less than one or even close to 0.1%, that's a huge difference in terms of mortality. And the reason that we're seeing um, such a, a large number of deaths currently. Um, I think as of today, we have over half a million cases reported in the U.S., which, you know, keep in mind that that number is probably a lot lower than our real number, given the lack of testing, you know, when this all first emerged. And I think we have close, a little over 1.7 million cases reported worldwide. And you guys in Australia only have about 6,300. So you guys are doing awesome over there. <laughs> Hopefully we can keep it down. You know, you also mentioned that there's this period where people don't know that they're symptomatic, like that there's this, this time period where people won't be having that fever, that cough, or those 
you know, asymptomatic sort of, they will be having, pardon me, an asymptomatic experience. So does that mean that not only are the numbers possibly higher because we're not doing testing as readily, but because people also don't know, so the testing would be a few weeks off? Is that? Absolutely. And additionally, since it's caused by a new virus, people don't have any immunity um, to build up and fight it off. Um, And you know, we're still probably months away from developing a vaccine. Um, so, and what that, in, in terms of healthcare capacity, I think that's also something um, really important for, for us to discuss, because after this, I think it'll be important for um, our listeners to really understand the importance of flattening the curve. Um, I don't know if you guys have been talking much about flattening the curve in Australia. We have. It's a big. It's a big deal here, and I think it's something we all need to be keeping at the forefront of our mind. You know, in in the U.S., where it sounds like cases are significantly higher than here, but also here because there is the risk of becoming complacent if our cases are not um, increasing as rapidly as they might be in other places. Right. Absolutely. And. You know, and I think that the delayed response in the U.S. is probably the reason that we are having such a significant problem right now. So I think that, you know, spreading awareness now when you're in the early stages is so, so critical because hopefully, you know, in the countries that have not been hit hard, like, for instance, Australia compared to us, hopefully, you know, with people being hyper aware, conscientious and responsible. Um, Hopefully you guys never have to get to where we are because where we are right now is actually um, a frightening uh, situation, not only for individuals and the hospital systems, but also for our economy. Um, There's a lot of issues in the American economy right now uh, because we are on pretty much a shutdown, you know, across the country. Yeah, yeah, which is a loss of livelihood for a lot of people and perhaps there isn't necessarily the social netting to catch people as easily. Exactly, exactly. So um, so let's talk about slowing the curve. Yeah, please. What that means and how we can help ourselves, our families, our communities, and also protect you know, the healthcare community and the people that are out there fighting for you you know, on the front line. Um, Which, just to highlight too, you know, it's obviously you work in an ED, but just so people understand the context, you show up for work every day, not knowing what to expect, who's coming in the doors. And you have a young family at home. You have three children. I do. Yeah. I do. I I have a a son that just turned nine and I have seven-year-old twins and a husband. And um, yeah, you know, it's, it's hard going out there and then coming home and you know, having this constant stress and, and of the unknown, you know. Nishat, would you mind just sharing us what it, sharing with us what it is like to be in the emergency department right now? You know, what's it, what's it like day in, day out? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I think that, um, there's a misperception, you know, obviously there are cities like New York that are very, very inundated with very high volumes of very critical patients. But what's happening across most of the country is that our low acuity volume in the ER has has significantly declined. And what that means is that 
um, our revenue generation in the hospital is significantly lower. On top of that, we have our zones in the emergency department that are divided between, you know, COVID and non-COVID zones. And when in the COVID zone, we're obviously outfitted in extensive protective gear um, such that it's unable for one doctor to be able to staff both the non-COVID and the COVID zone. So on top of having a lower revenue in general, um, we are kind of overstaffing our ERs here in the U.S. Um, just for, uh, for practical purposes and logistical purposes of keeping our COVID and non-COVID patients separate uh, so that we're not you know, spreading the disease further. Um, I think the scariest part about working in the hospital right now is that there is a, obviously a global shortage of uh, PPE, which stands for personal protection equipment. Uh, personal protection equipment that we require to protect ourselves in the ER includes, you know, surgical gowns, um, and, but the most importantly is your N95 mask, uh, which is really the only proven mask that will prevent you from transmitting or contracting the virus just because it is not, you know, porous enough for the virus to pass through. And two is eye protection. People don't, people sometimes forget that your, your eye is a mucous membrane. And so if somebody coughs and like we talked about the presence of a virus in respiratory droplets, if any of that, you know, uh, moisture from somebody's cough gets into your eye, you can actually contract the virus that way. So we need to be wearing proper uh, protection. Um, and, you know, because of the shortage of supply, uh, we're at the point in the US where we are having to um, save our protective uh, masks and our N95s at the end of our shift. And the hospital is going to supposedly disinfect them. And if we get to the point where we run out, we will have to reuse a lot of those masks. So it's kind of frightening. Uh, we have very strict instructions that we cannot go to work with with lotion or sunscreen or makeup or any oils on our face um, because we could soil these masks that would otherwise not be able to be reused. Oh my goodness. So yourself as a healthcare provider and, you know, as, as our, you know, communities protection are working under really stressful and difficult circumstances right now. Absolutely, absolutely. So, you know, so I would uh, invite anybody in the community to sort of be proactive. Um, you know, uh, there are lots of organizations here in the US and I'm sure in the Australia as well that are um, working with our government and collecting donations uh, to um, purchase and donate protective equipment for healthcare workers. And so I think that um, if people in the community can be committed to that, it would be very, very helpful for the front line so that we can um, hopefully squash this bug and not only protect ourselves and our families, but protect our community. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So when we're talking about how we protect everyone, you know, the, the people, the healthcare providers like yourself who are showing up and, and putting their well-being on the line to keep us well, what can we do? How do we flatten this curve? So, so... A tall skinny curve is bad, right? And, that, and, with, and a, what a tall skinny curve means is that a lot of people are gonna get sick at once in a short period of time. So the curve goes up really high 
and then comes down really fast. And we don't want that um, because we don't want, um, if we don't take steps to prevent the virus from spreading from person to person, that is what is going to happen. And that is what happened in a lot of these very heavily hit uh, communities and countries. So, so the tall skinny curve would be the number of cases goes up really, really rapidly. So um, on the vertical axis would be the number of cases and on the horizontal axis at the bottom, that would be time. So we get a right. lot of cases really, really quick versus if it's flat, the timeline is extended. So we get less cases over time until they're increasing. So the duration of time is longer. Is that correct? Correct. And if you picture that vertical axis as the number of cases, the horizontal axis as time, and then just put a mental kind of like dotted line about halfway up, right? That's the capacity of the healthcare system. So if we have a tall skinny curve that rises way above that dotted line that comes crashing down, we have overwhelmed the healthcare system. And what that means is that we are unable to provide adequate care um, and life-saving procedures for everyone in need. Um, and that is not what we want. And that is, for instance, what is happening um, in New York right now, uh, because New York is actually kind of the epicenter of the American outbreak. And so essentially what we wanna do is we wanna flatten the curve, which means that we want the number of cases to stretch out across a longer period of time. And if you imagine a flatter curve, you can imagine the top of that curve staying below that dotted line that represents the healthcare system's capacity. Does that make sense? That does make sense. I think that's really beautifully put and a nice visual for people who may not have seen the flatten the curve graphs that I know are floating around. And maybe I'll actually link to one of those images in the show notes if people want to check there. Absolutely. And I have a post on my Instagram feed that has an animated um, kind of demonstration of what flattening the curve looks like in terms of the number of infected, um, uninfected, and recovered people. So people can look on that on yeah. my Instagram and that's at your ER doc, which, you know, listeners will have heard already, but at your ER doc, head there now if you um, have your phone open. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. So, um, so yeah, so that's essentially what flattening the curve means. And you know, and the other, the other really important thing to keep in mind about flattening the curve is that it is going to give our scientists and um, research uh, institutions time to develop the appropriate remedies, interventions, and therapies that are needed to cure and you know hopefully eliminate COVID-19. So as far as the outlooks on vaccines, scientists actually sequenced the genome of the virus and developed several promising vaccine candidates in a matter of days. Um, and the Coalition for Epidemic Preparedness Innovations is already preparing up to eight promising vaccine candidates for clinical trials. So that's really exciting. Wow. So, if some of these vaccines prove to be safe and effective in animal models, they could be ready for larger scale trials as early as June. Um, okay, that's really promising. Yeah, yeah. So, and drug discovery, you know, can also be accelerated by drawing in libraries of compounds that have already been tested for safety and by applying new screening techniques, um, including machine learning to identify antivirals that could be ready for large scale clinical trials within weeks. So, um, 
So yeah. So, so, so buying so- time is really important because it's getting sick now might mean that we don't necessarily have these remedies or these vaccines available versus if it is a little bit later on, it's not just the flattening the curve, so to speak, in terms of healthcare capacity, but it's also the resources that we might have available to treat and to keep people well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, modern medicine is, is really fantastic and innovative and bright. Um, and so if we give our scientists time to do their jobs, you know, it'll bode well for all of us. Um, and I, so I think that um, it's really important for people to heed these warnings and, um, you know, be conscientious. Um, That's should we great. talk a little bit about the virus and how it's going to play out in the future? Yeah, that would be fantastic. I'm really interested to hear that. Yeah. So, so right now, um, in terms of our numbers in the U.S., um, the current kind of statistics and the math are pre- are predicting and approximating rather than an infected American is going to be sort of infecting two and a half people on average. Um, and so, in order to break that transmission rate, um, which our goal is to get that rate to less than one. Um, the way we need to do that is through aggressive social distancing, testing, contact tracing, isolation, and quarantine. So, and then, you know, the vital driver is, of course, the duration of COVID-19 immunity, which, of course, we're still learning, you know, about how long people actually stay immune. And so, and, and what I mean by that is the amount of time a person maintains immunity to coronavirus after recovering from an infection. So, of course, at present, we really know far too little, really need some longitudinal research. Um, But if theoretically a person can maintain immunity for a prolonged period, meaning for instance, 12 or 24 months post recovery, then they could conceivably return safely to public spaces even after, you know, and as the virus continues to circulate. Uh, because eventually populations would reach what we call herd immunity. And what this means is that a high enough percentage of the population will be immune to the virus, so much so that it peters out and it becomes very, very difficult for the virus to find a susceptible host. Now, inversely, as we're still doing research on this, if immunity turns out to be very short-lived, you know, a per- what that means is that a person who was infected could soon become reinfected. And so this is, this is kind of like the heart of some of the research that is happening right now. This is something I haven't heard really discussed in the media that I guess I've been, I've been consuming. So would you mind sharing a bit about this, this concept? So there's herd immunity. We need to have a certain number of people who have immunity at any point in time. So a longer period where we have immunity from the virus, which I'm gathering happens after we've been infected, whether it's been asymptomatic or not would be ideal. Correct. But there needs to be more research done. And if it's the case that it's short-lived, then that's going to be a different kettle of fish, so to speak. Right. Correct. And so 
that's why there is still a lot of uncertainty and um, also another reason for me to emphasize the importance of, you know, social distancing and, you know, staying away from large gatherings of people because we really just, we don't have all the information that we need. Um, one of the other controversies, controversies uh, being discussed right now is, you know, whether or not coronavirus is seasonal, right? So most viruses tend to peak in winter months and wane in warmer months um, and, and more humid uh, weather. But it's still very unclear whether COVID-19 trans, transmission will slow during the summer and the fall of 2020. So if it proves to be seasonal, the benefit is that we could use this time to temporarily pause and stockpile medical supplies and build up our testing and our laboratory capacities and strengthen our defenses against these successive waves of COVID-19. Um, so that's another thing that is sort of, you know, the, the scientific world is exploring. Which would be and interesting in Australia where we're heading into winter. So it might be the opposite here where this is going to be another element that um, we as a, a nation or, you know, I guess New Zealand, those of us who are, who are down here might be yeah. experiencing or considering. Yeah. And that's, that's really interesting. I didn't think about that until just now. I mean, I wonder, you know, I sort of wonder if you guys are in the middle of summer, if that's one of the reasons that maybe you're, you know, numbers are so low right now. Yeah. Yeah. So that's an interesting thing to be holding. And you mentioned the wave so that there could be, we might have a wave right now that we're going through and we're obviously trying to flatten that curve, or we might kind of think of it as a wave. There could be other waves coming is what the inference is that we need to be mindful of. Yeah, and in some ways, actually, I think you guys are at a major advantage um, because you've got access to so much information um, given the, um, you know, the extensive uh, havoc that the virus is, is causing across the world. You know, maybe this is the opportunity in Australia that you flatten the curve and then you never get to where we are, you know, even once the winter months hit. So I think this is an amazing opportunity um, for your community to kind of embrace um, the mistakes that the rest of us have made and put yourself, you know, on uh, at, a, at a major advantage. Yeah. Well, with that, how do we also bolster that advantage? Like, what can what can we be doing to be mindful of, you know, the fact that this could be seasonal, that there could be waves what can we be doing to take care of ourselves or is there anything else we should be mindful of before we launch into our our self-care yeah absolutely so so I'll, some of the things i'll talk about first the things that you need to do kind of like the more common sense things that need to be done to prevent the virus from spreading and then i'll get into some other things just to boost your immune system um which is critical during a time like this, uh, with all the uncertainty and this new virus and all these unknowns, um, this could not be a better time to, to upgrade your health and optimize your immune function. Uh, Cause that is really what is gonna be protecting you the most uh, beyond your sort of social responsibility. So First and foremost, I mean, I think it's common sense at this point. We've been talking about social distancing. I personally prefer the term physical distancing because yes. <laughs> we have an innate human need for connection. 
And I don't think this is the time to spiritually, mentally, and emotionally distance ourselves from our friends and our family and the people that we love. I think it's important to physically distance. And what that means is now is not the time to go to a big event. I mean, most of them here in the US have been canceled anyway. Um, you don't wanna hug, shake hands, high five, fist bump, don't do any of that. Um, when you're in public, try to stay at least six feet away from other people. I say 10 is probably a little bit safer, but six is kind of the common, you know, common denominator. Just to translate that in um, Australia, they're saying 1.5 meters. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> As you're on the metric system, okay. Yeah. <laughs> You want to cancel travel, whether it's business or pleasure, and you know, work from home if possible. Stay home. You know, that's the most important thing. If you're having any upper respiratory symptoms at all, even if it's just a runny nose, you know, you could have coronavirus. Um, so stay home so that you prevent spreading the virus to others. And you know, if you if all you have is a little cold and you go out, you could get coronavirus. It, so it kind of works both ways. Because um, your immunity would be down, so you'd be more vulnerable. Is that the link? Yeah, and you know, you just might be exposed yeah. when you might not have otherwise been exposed if you're staying home, right? Um, and also to keep in mind that there are people who are gonna be more vulnerable to the virus. So even if you're feeling fine and let's say you happen to have a positive COVID test, but you're like, oh, I'm fine, this isn't bad. Well, it might not be bad for you, but it could be, you know, terrifying and could cost someone else their life if they are, for instance, immunocompromised, you know, maybe undergoing chemotherapy for cancer or um, have some other sort of autoimmune disease or any sort of other, um, you know, uh, risk factors um, that would make their immune system more susceptible. So think of people other than yourself, um, you know, uh, when you're making decisions in terms of what you're doing. Um, so even any, so, and, and, and also on that same note, I mean, even if you seem perfectly healthy, it's best to stay home whenever possible, you know, use this time to reconnect with your kids or your family members, you know, maybe take on a project that you've been putting off for a while, do your spring cleaning or your organizing or, I mean, there's so much that we can do at home. Um, you know, I always tell, I also tell my patients that if you start to feel like you're having symptoms that are suspicious of coronavirus, the reality is that when you go to the emergency department, we're not gonna do anything different for you there unless you are having symptoms severe enough that would require admission to the hospital. So the best thing you can do is pick up the phone and call your healthcare provider if you have questions or concerns. You know, there are a lot of um, telemedicine services now available in the US. I don't know if you guys have a lot we of- We do have them all organized here as well, which is fantastic. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So, so just to highlight that you mentioned the home projects, I was just thinking, you know, connecting with like family, um, you know, kids, partners, that this could be a really nice opportunity, but there's also going to be people who are at home alone or, you know, maybe with a housemate and things, but you also mentioned doing things around the house, you know, kind of doing a project or getting organized. And you said earlier, upgrading our health. So I'm just thinking, even if it's not the case that this is a time where you are in physical contact with necessarily family members, there are things we can be doing to structure our lives, to organize our 
our physical house as well as you know our bodily house so to speak that we could upgrade our health and just to kind of put in context that there are things we can all be doing right now that will actually serve us absolutely absolutely so I mean, to avoid contracting uh, COVID-19, just like any other virus or any other illness, you need a strong, healthy immune system. So how do you do that? How do you boost your immune system? And I think this is sort of, this is the most important, you know, juice. If you walk away with anything from this, you know, podcast, I feel like the listeners really need to take to heart um, these next steps because these are easy. So the first thing you want to do is make sure that you're eating whole foods that are packed with nutrients because your immune system is counting on you to give it the nutrients it needs to function at its best. And infections can be fought with, cannot be fought within your body if there are nutrient deficiencies. So, and I can tell you from an American standpoint, about 90% of Americans, believe it or not, have at least one nutrient that is essential that is critical and lacking so the quality of your diet really does matter this is interesting in terms of a lot of the memes that are on social media right now around how through the covid virus people will be eating donuts and coming out the other end maybe not feeling like their best selves when actually there's never been such an important time to be eating whole foods and to be staying away from some of those things that might not necessarily be providing us our essential nutrients Absolutely, which brings me to my next point, which is that one of the best things we can do for our immune systems is to eliminate sugar, refined starches, and processed foods. So, I mean, I know everyone right now is worried about getting enough food. And so what's happening here in the U.S. is that people are stocking up on the non-perishables or going and buying out all the pasta and the rice. And your body can't handle all that sugar in the starch. You know, it really does impede your immune system for hours after you consume it. And here's the interesting thing is that vegetables and fruit are very available. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, go to the grocery store and, and, and do what I call perimeter shopping, you know, because all the fresh produce is on the perimeter of the grocery store. You know, all the whole foods are on the perimeter. Chances are, if there's something in the middle of the store and it doesn't require refrigeration, it's probably not good for you. I also say anything that has an ingredient that is too long for you to pronounce or you don't understand what it is, chances are it's not good for you. So fruits and vegetables, you know, that's exactly what your body needs right now. You should strive to eat at least two half cup servings of fruit and about eight servings of vegetables per day. I always recommend choosing vegetables that are high in vitamins A and C, as well as those with phytonutrients, such as like dark leafy greens. Think about eating your rainbow. If you eat a wide variety of fresh foods that have a wide variety of colors, they are gonna be packed with phytonutrients that are gonna serve as antioxidants. And they're not just gonna protect you during this time, they are actually gonna protect you long-term, you know, from all sorts of chronic diseases, from heart disease to diabetes to cancer. I mean, you name it. Um, and, you know, side perk, you'll be um, boosting your immune system so that right now you'll be equipped to, you know, handle coronavirus should you, you know, be hit by it. Um, and the other thing I always say is if you fear you're not going to be able to use all the vegetables that you buy, um, you know, make batches of soup or 
cut and clean them and put them in Ziploc bags in the freezer and use them for later. That's what we do in our house. That's a great idea. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. And I also say don't skimp on spices. You know, there's a lot of growing, there's a growing body of evidence and research that really supports um, how spices affect immunity. So many foods that are used to add flavor are actually also great for your immune system. Things like garlic, onions, ginger, and a variety of other spices might be, you know, just the boost that your immunity needs. So, um, and then sort of my, um, I have a few more tips, and that is that, you know, if you're eating a lot of sugar and processed foods, your body actually might be more on the acidic side. So, you know, some things that could balance that out are things like bone broth and vegetable soups. Um, and, you know, if you, if you feel like you, you know, just can't manage it all and you can't get to the store and get the wide variety of colors that you need in your diet, you know, a multivitamin is actually really not a bad thing to add to your daily regimen. Um, and it might be just what you need. Um, the caveat for that is that I definitely recommend trying to get a pharmaceutical grade supplement if you are able, um, just because for the most part, they uh, don't have fillers, they are higher potency, and they are formulated biochemically for better absorption. Would you mind and just describing, it, so it's their pharmaceutical grade, which means that they're the types of supplements that like yourself as a medical practitioner would recommend or, you know, prescribe in a sense that there's a quality assurance there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because a lot of the stuff that you'll buy from the retail store or Amazon, for instance, you know, you'll take it and you think you're taking a multivitamin, but you might end up excreting all of it and not absorbing a single part of it. Um, and so, you know, it's really important to take high quality multivitamins. And I always tell my patients, yes, they might be a little bit more expensive, but you're getting way more bang for your buck. Like, would you rather buy something that works for $20 or would you rather buy something that you think is doing something and it's not doing anything at all for 10, you know? Yeah. It's an when investment. Yes. That you're taking, you're investing in your health and your investment is not just, you know, a, a single investment on a single day. It's actually a long-term investment in terms of your health, wellness, and longevity. Um, so, and, and also before I forget, you know, when I'm talking about absorption, your microbiome and your gut is a very vital piece of the puzzle that needs to be healthy. So some other things that you could consider um, would be fermented foods like kombucha, miso, tempeh, unsweetened yogurt, kefir, um, or even taking a probiotic to boost your gut health is also a great um, step towards immunity. Because actually, most people don't know this, but you know, most of your immune system, about 80% of your immune system originates from your gut. So Wow, that's like quite a number, isn't it? Yes. Yes. And actually, you know, speaking to somebody who's in the, the field of psychology, you know, 80% of our serotonin is produced in our gut too. I have so heard that, which is our mood and our well-being. All right. So taking care of your gut is going to be vital for your physical health, but also your mental health and, you know, keeping our mental health well during this period would also be important and vital. Absolutely. Absolutely. And hydration too you know, the, the amount of water that we need to drink in a day is also essential to our immune system and our cellular function. Our cells need fluids. Um, 
and um, proper hydration to move things around and to be able to detox and get rid of things that our body doesn't want. So I always say, now you'll have to do the math on this, uh, given the metric system, but uh -oh. <laughs> we, we say drink um, half your body weight in pounds and ounces. So for instance, if you're a 150 pound person, you would want to drink 75 ounces of water a day would be kind of your absolute minimum. So you'd have to translate that into into leaders. And you know, yeah. I will I will put a link to how to do that in the show notes since <laughs> I'm not gonna be able to do that off the top of my head. So <laughs> listeners, you have to go to the show notes to do the translation yeah. as to um to your water consumption. But also I would like listeners to go to your Instagram at your erdoc.com because there they're gonna be able to access a downloadable in regards to um the supplementation that you recommend. Would you mind just sharing a little bit about that? Because I think that's going to be really useful and cover more in depth than what we're going to do here. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so yes, I will have access to a free downloadable um, from my Instagram page, which is at your ER doc. Um, you can also search by my name and I will pop up that way too, but I've put together a really um, concise uh, chart with all my COVID-19 nutraceutical and botanical recommendations for, for patients and for individuals looking to boost their immune health. Um, you know, I always say that food is medicine and food is the best place to start, but the reality is that this is a stressful time for all of us and taking a high quality supplement is a great way to kind of, you know, take some of that off of your plate, no pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> So some of the supplements that I'm going to discuss on there um, are going to be things like vitamin A, vitamin D, vitamin C, the very obvious ones. But then there's also some not obvious ones like quercetin, cucurmin, um, resveratrol, elderberry, things like that. And I'm going to have, you know, the, the doses will be on there, how many times a day you should take them, the benefits. And then I'll also make it very easy for you to figure out which of those will help enhance your immune system which will decrease viral growth and which will potentially reduce symptoms. Now, that being said, you know, I've got my disclaimer that none of this is a substitute for medical advice from your healthcare provider, of course. Um, these are recommendations based on research and also adapted from the Institute for Functional Medicine, which is where I did all my functional medicine studies. And it's kind of like the thought leader in the field, at least here in the U.S. Yeah, well, I, I'm going to be downloading it. I'm very excited about it. So thank you for putting that together for us. Absolutely, absolutely. And for anyone who's in the U.S., I'll also have a link to my um, my professional uh, pharmaceutical grade dispensary where people can order directly. I don't know if they will ship internationally, so I'll have to look into that. But I know for sure anybody in North America will be able to order um, there. And and I'm doing 10% off in light of COVID and sort of the economic duress that has this has caused on a lot of our community. Yeah, thank you very much for that. And that's that's a good point. So you will be able to order directly from yourself, um, Nishat, if you are in you know, North America. And if not, we'll look into that. But definitely people can still get the downloadable. And then it's going to be a matter of making sure that you're sourcing high-grade supplements from that point. Absolutely. Absolutely. And if you have questions, you can definitely ask your healthcare provider. Um, and they might be able to point you in the right direction if, you know, my resource is not available. 
Okay. Internationally. Was there anything else? Because I would actually like to leave a little bit of time for you to share what you're creating at this moment in times in terms of a really amazing eight leap program. But was there anything else that you wanted to flag with us in terms of what we could do as individuals to keep ourselves in our community while we'd gone through some of the practical things, you know, social distancing? We talked about hand washing earlier. Um, we talked about eating well, eating the rainbow, incorporating spices. Uh, multivitamins as well as other supplementation and gut health is there anything else that we should be mindful of yeah I always say don't skimp on sleep that is the time that your body will repair itself the most and that is when you know your cellular processes reset so make sure you're getting your, you know, eight hours of sleep a night. I the time that you're that our body biologically likes to sleep the most is between 10 p.m. and 6 a.m. So I always recommend 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. I always I also think it's very very important from a mental perspective to practice things like yoga, meditation, and breathing. They have a huge effect on the biochemistry of our body, and just those things alone will help boost your immune system significantly so for sure and i think the other important thing like i mentioned earlier is to maintain um social connections with people that you love you know don't live in fear we will get through this crisis you know with patient patients trust and you know committing ourselves to self-care and caring for the people that we love around us that's a really beautiful action oriented stance, isn't it? To take on this responsibility, this care of ourselves, but care of others that we operate as a community and that we can be respectful of others. And that while staying in might not necessarily be something that, you know, we've practiced before or that aligns with what we, and I say in quotation marks, want or should think we should be doing. But in actuality, if we stay home with that sense that we are protecting others and that we are actually working in unison as a community that puts a different lens on it it feels different it does it really does and i have to say like i have been you know even though we're facing so many challenges in the u.s like my heart really does feel very full because i do feel that the community has come together in amazing ways um and with a lot of support and positivity um you know, and it's, and it's really just about maintaining that momentum. You know, if you go out to the grocery store to restock, just smile, you know, I feel like there are simple things that will uplift you and uplift everyone around you that are so critical during a time like this. That's, that's beautiful. I love that. To smile, to maintain a warmth, to not push and shove that we're all in this together. Exactly. Exactly. Absolutely. Tell us about your eight week program. Oh yeah, absolutely. So, so yeah, I'm really excited about this program that I'm going to be launching in just a few weeks. Um, it is um, a partnership uh, with um, a colleague uh, who has a master's in positive psychology. He's really an incredible individual and he's on Instagram. You can find him at define.henry. Um, and he and I are putting together an amazing program that, that incorporates all things, mind, body, food, life, 
wellness. Uh, we'll be incorporating uh, concepts related to functional medicine approach to health, to Ayurveda, and essentially it's going to be an eight-week course where we take at where we take you from where you are now to an elevated state of health over a course of eight weeks. We will have um, pre-recorded video modules that you will watch along with um, an ebook uh, with a lot of content uh, as well as homework assignments. Um, we will also have a Facebook community that will be interactive as well as live sessions with both myself and with Henry um to answer any questions uh and so forth so that's I'm really, really excited it's a very transformative program um we this program has actually taken pl place live uh in the past and the feedback has been phenomenal um and it kind of it takes you not only to it's not only a journey to improve your physical health but it's also to improve your mental health and to help you achieve uh an understanding of your vision uh, of yourself in the now and in the future. And what a beautiful time to be doing it. You know, we're in this period of physical distancing. We've got more time where we might be able to at home engage in some reflection that we might not otherwise be able to if we were out and about. It's this beautiful period to do a program just like this. And the fact that, you know, it's watching the modules, but also getting that coaching virtually. How incredible. Yeah, it's going to be really, really amazing. We're hoping to launch that program uh, the first week of May. So I'm hoping in the next couple of weeks we'll be um, giving some sneak peek at, at uh, some materials and kind of the content and, and so forth. So we're really excited about it. And there's it. going to be a link to this in the show notes as soon as it goes to launch and as soon as we've got the website details. So um, listeners head over to the show notes and, and check it out. They can also find your own personal webpage, can't they, Nishat, at um, it's N-A-S-H-A-T-L-A-T-I-B.com. Correct. Absolutely. Yeah. And hopefully that'll be up and running uh, pretty soon too. Yeah. And like I said, I'll be putting it all in the show notes so listeners can find you there, but they can really take this time to, to reflect on how, how one takes care of oneself, how one upgrades their health and moves to the state of vitality and like you said, you know, we don't need to be operating in a state of fear. We need to be conscientious and we need to be responsive to what's happening, but that there are things we can be doing right now to take care of ourselves, to take care of our community, both in terms of the recommendations you've made today and even looking and enrolling in programs like you've, like you're offering with Henry, which sounds amazing and doing some reflection in this period of, of slowness. Absolutely. Absolutely. A hundred percent. I mean, I think that, you know, life is going to be different after all of this is over. And so the best thing we can do for ourselves right now is to embrace it with positivity and vitality and, you know, and grit, you know, um, but I think it's all going to be, um, we're going to come out of this stronger for sure. That is such a beautiful note to finish on. We're going to be stronger. We're going to get through this together. And with that, thank you so much for your generosity in sharing. I cannot imagine what it's like in the ED right now, as well as, you know, the time that you're spending organizing all these wonderful resources for us as a community. So thank you so much for taking time for us today. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thank you for having me. It's been, it's been wonderful. 
I found that interview to be incredibly useful. I think Dr. Latiev does a really wonderful job of conveying the seriousness of coronavirus, but also highlighting that we do have areas of power of control. So rather than being frozen by fear, she offers a number of practical steps that you can do to upgrade your health, your wellness, and to really use this time to nurture a state of well-being that will serve you long beyond this coronavirus season. So as mentioned, please reach out to Dr. Latieb at nishatlatieb.com. There will of course be links to this in the show notes and to head on over to at your ER doc on Instagram to download her free supplement guide. And of course, Please subscribe so that you'll be alerted to the final bonus episode of Wisdom for Wellbeing Season 1 and so that you'll automatically know when Season 2 starts. I would love for you to leave a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening to this podcast. It's really helpful in terms of spreading the word about this podcast. And as we've discussed, you know, we are a community, we're operating together. So as we improve our own well-being, biopsychosocial, we're influencing the community around us. All right. I am looking forward to seeing you very shortly, perhaps on Facebook Live, or of course, back where you're listening to this now. I'm wishing you and yours a safe and wonderful week. Bye for now. Thanks for joining us this week on the Wisdom for Wellbeing podcast. Please visit drcaitlin.com to connect, find show notes, other episodes, and to subscribe. While you're at it, if you find value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating or perhaps simply tell a friend about the show. Wisdom for Wellbeing is not a substitute for professional, individualized mental health treatment. If you are in crisis, please contact 000, your local emergency number if you are outside of Australia, or attend your local hospital ED.